please turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13. If you're wondering where Numbers is, it's in your Old Testament. It's the fourth book in your Old Testament, so it should be pretty easy to find. Chapter 13 is where we're going to be going today. Numbers chapter 13. Praise God. As you're flipping there or scrolling there, I don't know, but I just kind of sense that you guys are a proactive church in this place. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. And I, I say that to encourage you because the fact is I think we can be a bit louder than we are right now. I think we can respond a little bit more than we have been. I believe that when we give God a big shout, we can give him a big shout. Give God a big shout in this place right now. Can we do that right now? All right. All right. I heard about maybe 50% of you. heard about 50% of you. See, this is the thing. We want to get the most out of the day. We don't want to waste our time, so let's be proactive. Amen? Amen. So don't wait for the pastor to say, if you believe that, say amen. When you hear something that resonates with your heart, when you see something on the screen, when something's being prayed over you that resonates with you, you can go ahead and say amen, which means I agree. Or you can say yes, or you can take a note, or you can take a picture of what you see on the screen. You can shout, you can clap, because when we respond with faith, when we respond with an open heart, then we make the most of our time together here in church. You didn't come here to waste your time, neither did I, so let's be proactive in the way we worship Jesus. Amen. All right, there we go. That's a little bit better. So don't be afraid to respond. Or anybody say, don't be afraid to respond. Don't be afraid to respond. Praise God. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It's called Greater. Everyone say Greater. And let me tell you what the series is about for those who are new here this morning. Is that last week and the week before, we started a series called Greater, which is about this. Is that deep down, we believe every single one of us has a longing for something greater. Is that when we look at what we're doing today, you might look at what you're doing and you think, man, I long to do something greater. I long to make a greater impact. I want to make a greater difference. I want to see greater results. Maybe you look at yourself within and you think, man, I wish I had greater patience with my spouse. I wish I had greater courage to face the mountain that's in front of me right now. I wish I had greater peace to go through the storm that I'm going through right now. I wish I had greater wisdom to make the kind of decisions that I have to make during this time in my life. And so maybe in this place, you're thinking to myself, man, there's something in me that wants something greater. The fact is this, I believe that every single one of us has a longing to be, to do, to experience something greater. We don't just want to stay the same. And for that reason, it's be- we have the series called Greater because it's all about stepping into a greater version of who you were made to be. I really believe this, is that this coming year, there's a greater version of you that wants to rise up from you this coming year. It's a more patient you. It's a more resilient you. It's a more persevering you. It's a more thankful, grateful you. It's a more loving you. It's a more effective you. It's a wiser you. And so this series called Greater is all about stepping into all of that. Have you found this series helpful so far? These past couple weeks we've been talking about gratitude. Everyone say gratitude. How when your circumstances make you want to sink, choose an attitude of gratitude. Because when you focus on the good, it helps you to float amid circumstances that make you want to sink. Last week we talked about perseverance. I want to say perseverance. We learned that perseverance is not just about willpower and just pushing, pushing, pushing with regardless of whether you know why or not. But perseverance is about perspective. And we learned four ways that you can gain a more persevering perspective to face whatever it is you are facing today. This morning, I've got a very interesting message to share with you, a powerful message, I believe, and I call it Greater by Mistake. Greater by Mistake by mistake. Now, while you're trying to think, what in the world are we talking about today? Let me share with you, since we're talking about greater by mistake, a couple mistakes that I've made in the past. Can I share with you? They're kind of funny mistakes, I think. Um, And uh, these are what I call conversation fails. 
Have you ever had been in a conversation, you said something that you maybe shouldn't have said or said, did, you know, some, did something in the conversation that maybe you should have done? You thought, man, stupid me. Why did I say that? Why did I do that? Let me give you a couple to make you feel better in case you've had some conversation fails. Here, here's one. is that Once I was meeting at a restaurant with a, a very high-powered community leader in our city, very prominent leader in our city, and it was a bit like an interview because uh, there was an opportunity that I was uh, kind of looking for with him. And, and, and so you know, we, we, we met at this restaurant. We're waiting for our table. And he takes out his wallet for some reason, and, and he opens his wallet, and I notice a picture inside his wallet, and I go, wow, wow, you got a handsome son. And he looks at the picture, he looks at me with a really weird look, he looks at the picture again, and he looks at me one, once again, he says, that's not my son, that's my wife. <laughs> I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, 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 I'm sorry, you have, you have a beautiful wife, you know, and, and and, and man, I, I, I had no idea, and, and, and it, was just, it was an embarrassing moment. Everyone say, that's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. Conversation fail. Oh, man. And, and there, there's another one where, uh, you know, once I was having a conversation, it was a group conversation. We're in, uh, you know, this, this group where I did this exercise. It was work-related where we had to say something encouraging about the person across the table from us because we'd all been working together for a while. And so, you know, I'm, I'm across the table from this one girl. I'm supposed to say something encouraging to her. And so I wanted to say stuff about, you know, you know you're smart, uh, you know, you're athletic, uh, you're creative, but you're also very rational. And, and I don't want to say, you know, you're very, well, you're, you're very multi-talented, you're very well-rounded, but for some reason, I, I didn't know what I was saying at the time, and so, you know, with my hands up in the air this way, I said, you know, Gloria, you are just very well-rounded, or you're very well-proportioned, is what I said. Oh, you're so well-proportioned, and, and, and at, that, at that point, she's just like, what? And uh, that was awkward. I would say, awkward. That was a conversation fail as well. Have you ever had a conversation fail? Something where you said something, and you thought, oh, stupid me, what did I mean by that? And see, here's the thing, is I'm, I'm here to tell you today, is that uh, today we're talking about overcoming the fear of failure. Overcoming the fear of failure. See, I'm here to tell you today that the greater version of you is a courageous version of you that's not afraid to fail. Let me say that again. The greater version of you is a courageous version of you that's not afraid to fail. Can I get a good amen? Amen. Are you afraid of failure? How do you know if you struggle with the fear of failure? Let me give you a few clues, just in case you're not sure that you struggle with the fear of failure. Why don't you look at them with me right now? Number one is this. You're quick to doubt yourself and your ability to overcome a challenge. Is that when someone asks you to do something, maybe it's a new opportunity that you've never done before, you're very quick to disqualify yourself. Go, no, no, I can't do it. Oh, no, I'm going to fail. In fact, you've got lo- a lot of language for that. You know, maybe say, you said yes to it, and now you regret. You're like, oh, I'm going to die. Oh, I'm going to fail. And we have it in all sorts of different languages. People say, oh, say, uh, or you know, we say, say all these different things that because it's about saying, you know what, I, I think I'm not going f- to succeed. I think I'm going to fail. Is that you, you're quick to doubt yourself. You're quick to disqualify yourself whenever there's a challenge in front of you. Does that, is that you? If that's you, give yourself a point. Number two, clue number two is this. You're reluctant to try new things or to get involved in anything challenging. You like to play it safe. And in fact, you like to make excuses for yourself why you're not getting into that challenging thing or why you're not saying yes to that thing you've never done before. If that's you, then give yourself a point. Number three is you think you're going to fail, so you procrastinate and you don't even try. Has that ever happened to you before? Some people call this self-sabotage. You know, I, I used to have a friend who, and she's still my friend, but, you know, when, when, when he was younger, he was, he, and he still is one of the most talented guys that I know, despite being so talented, especially 
when we were maybe 10, 15 years old, um, he would always do this. Is whenever he was given an assignment, whenever he was given a project, whenever he was given a responsibility, he would for some reason make a joke of it. Uh, he would make a joke out of it every time. He wouldn't take it seriously. He'd procrastinate. He'd, he'd wait till the very last minute. And, and I was, it always kind of, kind of like, kind of, kind of made me wonder, like, why would you do that? You're such a smart guy. You're so talented. You're so creative. And, and, he, and one, day, one day he finally, you know, told me why. He said, you know, because what if, he said, what if I really put my heart into what I'm doing and I don't like what I see? What if I put my heart into what I'm doing and I get disappointed by the results? In other words, he's saying that if I give my best, what happens if I get rejected? And see, maybe you're in that place today is that whether it's in a relationship or it's in a school project or responsibly you have at home or at work, is that you hesitate to give your best because you don't want to be rejected. You hesitate to give your best. And so as a result, you would rather procrastinate and try not that hard so that you have an excuse for why things happen the way they did. If that's you, then give yourself a point. Is that you procrastinate, you don't even try because you're afraid of failing. Number four is you are so hot, you are so critical of other people. Is that you might not say it out loud, but you think it. Every person you meet, everything that you see, you're criticizing it. You're thinking of all the things that are wrong with it. And see, very often, here's the thing, is that we want to be critical thinkers, but at the same time, is that when a person is highly, extremely critical of other people, deep down, that could be a sign of insecurity. That could be a sign that they themselves fear failure. See, it's a lot easier to be a critic than it is to be someone who's actually trying to do something productive. Amen. It's a lot easier to do the default position of just criticizing everything you see, standing on the sidelines, because it, you know, it takes no effort to be a critic, and you can just kind of look on the sidelines and see what, what everyone else is doing and criticize all that people are doing, because that's the easier way to do it. Some people who fear failure fall into that kind of boat. Number five, you only try things that you think you can do perfectly and successfully the first time. Is that you? And so as a result, you, you, you mostly say no to things. There's, there's, it's very rare that you'll say yes to something. It's only if you have like 100% confidence that you think you can knock this one out of the park. If that's you, then maybe that's another sign that you fear failure. Number six, you worry a lot. You're constantly thinking about everything that could go wrong. You know, when you're presented with an opportunity, when you're presented with a situation, when you're presented with, you know, a new thing that could happen, you focus on everything that's going to go wrong, and you don't just plan for worst-case scenarios, you expect the worst-case scenario. If that's you, give yourself a point. Finally, number seven, you tend to equate your worth with your performance. Is that when your performance does not meet your expectations, or maybe someone else's expectations, you treat that as it's the end of the world. You, you treat that as if it's a personal attack on you. You either get defensive or you clam up or you get depressed or you beat yourself up because you are someone who equates your worth with your performance. And in part, it's due to a fear of failure. If you can relate to any one or more of these clues, then there is a good chance that you struggle with a fear of failure. And the fact is, in some way, we all do. Whether it's because we grew up with very critical parents or we had a bad experience when we took that risk and things didn't turn out the way we want or we lived in the shadow of maybe a, a sibling who was so outstanding and we always felt like you know we never measured up to them. All of us, to some extent, can feel a bit of the fear of failure. Let me ask this question today. Is what is one area of your life today where the fear of failure affects you? See, what is one thing that you hesitate to do because you're afraid to fail. See, maybe it's when it comes to reaching out to someone in your home. 
maybe your relationship with that person isn't going very well right now, and there is a part of you that wants to reach out, but you're scared, what if they reject you? What if things don't go well? What if they take it the wrong way? And that fear of failure causes you to do nothing at all. Maybe that happens, you know, in the church. It's that, oh, Pastor J.B. talks about we need to be welcoming. We want to welcome every single person that here at Thrive. We're not just, welcoming people is not just something that we do. Welcoming people is something that we are. Amen? We're welcoming is something that we are. And you're like, oh, man, I know that, but, oh, but, like, what if I'm not a good conversationalist? What if I make the same kind of mistakes that Pastor J.B. made they just talked about just now? You know, what, what if, you know, what if you know, I say the wrong thing? Or, or what if they don't like me? And, 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 and you have all these what-ifs in your head. And because you fear failing at welcoming others, you just don't welcome anybody at all. If that's you, then maybe that's the area where the fear of failure is affecting you today. Maybe it's when it comes to applying for a position in one company or another. Maybe it's a school that you want to apply for. And because you're scared of getting rejected, you fear getting that letter saying, I'm sorry, uh, you know, we, we, we chose someone else. We wish you all the best in your future endeavors. And you think, oh man, I don't want to see that. And so you just don't even try because a fear of failure paralyzes you. Maybe when it comes to your marriage, you, you tend to uh, just avoid the topic entirely that you need to know. You, there's an issue in your marriage that you know you need to deal with, but you're afraid of what's going to happen. You're afraid of failure and as a result, you find you can't move forward in your marriage. In all these different ways, a fear of failure can paralyze us from moving forward. What paralyzes you? Is there a fear of failure that keeps you from doing the things that you know you need to do? See, I want to let you know this right now. Is that regardless of what area where you find a fear of failure affects you, a fear of failure has this result in our lives. Write this down. A fear of failure will keep you from the greater things that God has planned for you. When, when I fear failure, it actually doesn't protect me. I think it protects me, but actually it keeps me from the greater things that God has for my life. And see, I'm going to look at Numbers 13 with you this morning. We're going to look at a few verses from there, and I'm going to explain a bit there, and we're going to learn that a fear of failure is going to keep us from the greater things that God has planned. Are you guys awake in this place? Are you guys ready? Here we go. Numbers 13, 1 to 2. Let's read in a big loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. Keep on going. It says, when Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, go up through the Negev and go on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Keep on going. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. It was the season for the first ripe grapes. So they went up and explored the land from the desert of Zin as far as Rehob toward Lebo Hamath. See what's going on here. See, God is sending off Moses and the Israelites to go and get ready to take over what they've called the promised land. It's the land of Canaan. And before they go, Moses, according to God's command, decides, I'm going to send 12 spies to go explore this land and to learn as much about this land as possible. What can we learn from this? Is that, here you go, before you make a big decision that's going to take a lot of your time or a lot of your money, you want to do what's called your due diligence. And see, whether it's considering dating that person or buying that house or starting that business or taking that direction that you know is kind of risky, that's going to require a lot of room or a lot of money from you or a lot of time from you or a lot of effort from you, rather than just jumping into it right away with any thought at all, without any thought at all, we want to call do our due diligence. Everyone say due diligence. 
In other words, you want to look before you leap. You want to kick the tires a little bit. You want to, you want to get as much advice as you can. You want to make sure you consider the situation from different angles. Because let me tell you this. Today we're talking about the fear of failure. But can I tell you this? Fearing failure and being cautious are two different things. Amen. See, in talking about fearing failure and how we're not to fear failure, I don't want you to misunderstand me this morning. I'm not saying don't fear failure means throw caution to the wind. Just, you know, try anything and everything. It doesn't matter. And you know, just, just believe for the best and all that, all's going to be good. See, you know, God wants us to be wise. He wants to be thoughtful. He wants us to be strategic. He wants us to be careful in the decisions we make and the directions we take. But it's, he doesn't want us to be paralyzed by fear. Amen. Amen. So there's a difference. Being cautious and fearing failure are two different things. Here, Moses is not fearing failure. Moses is being cautious. He's being strategic. And so he sends these spies off. Look at Numbers 13, 25 to 33 with me. Read it in big, loud voice. One, two, three, it says, At the end of the 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. Keep on going. They gave Gave Moses' account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country, and the Canaanites live there near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb sons the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do do it. But the men who had gone up with them said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. They said, the land we explored devours those in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. See, what's going on is that they come back from this land, these 12 spies. They see that this land is an exceptional land. It is truly an awesome land and 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 but but at the same time there are some challenges there there are some other people who live in that land that they're gonna have to drive out there are some people that are much much bigger than they are who are gonna be there that they have to drive out and what is the lesson there is that here you go is that there are blessings that God has for you which are greater than you have right now but if you want to experience those blessings they are blessings that you need to fight for that you can't just expect them to come your way without trying. But the, there are greater blessings that God has for you that require you to fight. Everyone say fight. Things you need to risk for. Things you need to risk failure for. There are certain blessings that God gives which takes no effort on our part to, to have it all. All we have to do is open up our heart. Salvation is one of them. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose again from the grave. If we want to be forgiven of our sins, all it takes is us to open up our heart and say, Jesus, please forgive me of our sins. It's as simple as that. But there are certain blessings that God has reserved for you and for me that will take a fight. It'll take some effort. There will be challenges in front. And, and see, here's the thing. You might wonder, well, God, like, why does God do that? Why doesn't just God make it easy? If, if he just wants to, you know, you know, just show us that he's real, why not just make it easy for us? Isn't he of God of grace? Why doesn't God just give it to us already? And here's, here's why. Let me give you a few reasons. One reason is so that you would cherish those blessings. 
Because if you don't fight for it, then you're going to just live like this very entitled, spoiled, selfish boy or girl who expects everything to come to them without you having to try. That's one reason. A second reason is so that when you fight for it, you grow and become more like Christ in your character. God is not just concerned about your career or your comfort or your convenience. God wants to make you more like his son, Jesus. And when we learn to fight for things, that's when we become more like Jesus. If you believe that, say amen. There's another reason, is that when we fight for things and we know that there are challenges ahead, we know our weakness, we know their strength, what ends up happening is we learn to rely on God more. We learn to experience God's power in our weakness. And lastly, the reason why we have to fight for it is so we have a story to tell. It's so that we have a story to tell the generations after us and the people around us of the way that God worked in our lives, how he made his strength perfect in our weakness, how he made blessings possible that we couldn't do just on our own. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. God has greater blessings for you and for me. Turn your neighbor and say, there are greater blessings for you. Whether it's in your marriage, whether it's in your family, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your ministry, God has greater things in store, but you have to fight for it. If you believe it, say amen. Amen. Verse 30, we looked at that. We're going to go to Numbers 14 right now. Numbers 14, what does it say? Read with a big loud voice. It says, that night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness, why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we we should choose a leader and just go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land, and they tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, the land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land and a land flowing with milk and honey and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. If you have your Bibles in front of you, would you underline these two important phrases, which is, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. See, what happened was 12 spies were sent. 12 spies looked at the same land together. These 12 spies come back to Moses, to their community. Two of them, Joshua and Caleb, say, we can certainly do it. Or in my son Caleb's pretend voice, we can certainly do it. And then the 10 the 10, they say, there's no way we can do it. They are totally afraid of failure. And here's a little spoiler alert for those of you who haven't read this story before, for those of you who might be new to the Bible, is this. Is that the spoiler alert of the story is that the 10 spies who feared failure never enter the promised land. The 10 spies who were talking about how we're going we're gonna, to we're, we're gonna die, we're going to fail, they feared, they feared the worst, they expected the worst, they never end up making the promised land. It's the two spies, Caleb and, jo and Joshua, who believed that they can certainly do it, that made it to the promised land. What does that tell you? What does it tell you? The lesson here is a fear of failure will keep you from the greater things God has planned for you. Amen. Amen. See, when you are controlled by a fear of failure, what happens is you settle for a lesser version of yourself than the one that God made you to be. 
When you have a fear of failure and you succumb to it, you settle for a lesser life than the life that God intended for you to have. And so how do you overcome a fear of failure? We're going to end off with this right now. Three, four suggestions on how you can overcome failure. Number one is this. Don't be so quick to call something a failure. Don't be so quick to call something a failure. You know, I I shared with you some conversation fails I've had in the past, and I've had many. I've had many conversation fails, uh, things that I tried and failed at. Don't just aren't just limited to conversations. Let me let me, can I give you like I'll, I'll give you a list of ten fails from my life. Okay, and these are not all my fails. Can can I just tell you a few? Okay, uh, in grade eight I asked a girl out and she said no. I planned it all out and she still said no. Um, I entered a songwriting contest in Vancouver. I heard nothing. Uh, I entered a Mandarin speaking contest in Taiwan and expected to get first prize. Uh, I came home with no prize. Okay. Uh, I applied to SFU for university. I never heard back. Okay, uh, I just you know, despite doing my best, I got fired from my first job, from my first real job. Uh, once in Taiwan, I was asked to lead people in prayer in Mandarin in front of hundreds of people. I didn't volunteer for that job. I was just called up, and I did the very best that I could. But there was dead silence. People had no idea what I was saying. The person, the only person who said anything at the end was a very old lady who said, "Where are you from?" Because she had no idea where I was from. You know, you know, once I once you know years ago, I asked people, "Does anyone got ba- want to get baptized?" No one got baptized on that day. You know, once I tried praying for someone's healing, and for some reason on that day, nothing seemed to happen. We, you know, we have our daily game sharings that we do here, where every day I'll send you an email saying, "Hey, this is what I learned in my time with God," because we're going through uh, you know a different book of the Bible verse by verse together. You know what happened is uh, back in 2009, I tried doing that with you know our church when it was you know maybe 40, 50 people, and uh, I t- I did that for two months, and I burned out. I couldn't do it anymore. I was like, I'm so sorry. I don't think I can keep on doing this. And, uh, and I burned out after that. And, and see, here's the thing. With every one of these, I gave you just 10, like 10 fails out of the countless fails of my life. When seen in isolation, any one of these situations may have seemed like a failure. But looking back now, I realize that each one of those situations was actually just part of a much bigger story that God was writing with my life. And see, in fact, I can say this. With every one, every single one of those failures that I mentioned, there was a backstory. With every single one of those failures, there was something greater that, w- that God was going to do after that failure. You know, when I asked that girl in grade 8 out and she said no, praise God, God is preparing me for someone much, much greater. Her name is Pastor Charlene. Amen. Amen. When I wrote that song and no one responded, praise God, God was preparing to have a secure heart and God would end up using songs I'd write later on for churches, praise God for that. You know, you know the Mandarin speaking contest that I took and I, I got no prize, yeah, that's okay. The fact is that my in-laws are able to communicate with me in, in Mandarin and that's a bigger prize uh, than, than, than anything else. You know, I applied to SFU and heard nothing back, that's okay, it's okay. It's okay. I've, I've, been, I've, I've, been into other, I've been to other schools since then. Uh, did my best at a job, was fired from that job, but praise God, since that time, I've, got, I've had other jobs where, you know, I've been promoted and, and God's done greater things there. You know, t- in Taiwan, I was asked to pray in Mandarin, lead hundreds of people. There was dead silence, but praise God, that wasn't the one and only time. Amen? Amen? Once I was asked to get, to ask, you know, I asked, you know, does anyone got baptized? On that day, no one did, or maybe one person did. But praise God, in this church, we've, we've baptized, uh, I think, what, over 100, and, over 100 people here in this, in this short time. Let's give God a big, big hand for this place right now. 
you know, once I tried praying for someone's healing, nothing happened. But praise God, here at our services and our prayer meetings, we find that, you know, people are getting healed uh, from different things. When we, when we proclaim it, when we pray in faith, God has been working. And as for game sharings, well, praise God, back, you know, in 2009, I tried it for two months and I completely flopped. But now in April 2016, since April 2016, we've been doing game sharings every single day. We are over 900 days in. Praise God for all of that. And, and why do I say that? What I say is because I really believe this, is that every single one of those failures I mentioned was not in, in isolation. It might seem like a failure, but it was, in fact, it wasn't, it wasn't a failure. It was preparation for something greater. And, and see, here's the thing, is that th- those failures were actually planting seeds for something greater. That one situation might not have worked out the way that I planned, but in that failed situation, there was an idea that was still worth hanging on to, that we're, okay, let's, let's hang on to that. Let's not give up on that. There was a lesson learned that, okay, I'm not, I know I'm not going to do it that way anymore. I'm going to try it a different way. And those ideas and those lessons we could hang on to and it would equip us for success later on. If you believe that, say amen. And so instead of so quickly calling something a failure, one thing I've learned is this, learn to redefine failure in a healthier way. See, instead of saying, oh, I failed, oh, I failed. You know, once I was, you know, uh, speaking with, uh, like, a, a teen at our, and it was when Thrive first started, and, 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 you know, and, and he was on the phone. He was very depressed. I was like, hey, what's wrong? And he's crying. Ah, ah. I was like, well, and I was like, what's wrong? My life is over. I've got no future. There's a high school student. I've got no future. I'm like, what's wrong? Oh, I failed my exam. It's my chemistry exam. I'm like, what, what, what mark did you get? Only 85%. And that's where I learned the term in our very Asian city called Richmond of the term called Asian fail, right? Because it's just like, like you have no idea what you're complaining about, buddy. And, 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 and see, and, and that, that's the thing, is that sometimes we have to just learn to redefine failure in a healthier way. See, failure is not trying and missing the mark. Failure is not trying at all. See, failure is not missing first place. Failure is not giving your best. See, failure is not making a mistake. Failure is not learning from your mistake. See, failure is not falling. Failure is falling and never getting up again. Failure is not losing the game. Failure is not leaving it all out on the floor. Failure is not, ha- is not, not having the friends, the talents, the opportunities, the looks that that person has. Failure is not appreciating what God has already given to me. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. It's about learning to redefine failure. Everyone say, redefine failure. See, do you know what God's definition of success is? It's not what did you do with what someone else has. It's did you do your best with what God has given to you? One day when you stand before God, God's going to ask you, oh, so what did you do with what I gave your sister? Or what did, I do, what did you do with what I gave that person? He's going to say, what did you do with what I gave you? And see, this is what I find. When you redefine failure to mean something different from what you fear, you can try, you can try to do things without being so afraid anymore. And see, some of you, this is not just important just for you. It's important for your, it's important for your kids. It's important for your relationship with your spouse. Because believe it or not, your kids, your spouse, your family, your teammates, they're looking to you and learning from you what the definition of failure and success is. And if you have a wrong definition of failure, guess what? It's not just going to affect you. It's going to affect those around you as well. And so it's so important to redefine failure in a healthy way. Turn your neighbor and say, redefine failure. Amen. Is this helpful in this place this morning? Okay, number two, don't, tr- don't think that you always need to get it perfect on the first try. That's another thing I've learned about overcoming the fear of failure. 
See, any perfectionists out there? Perfectionists? Don't think you always need to get it perfect on the first try. You know, when Pastor Charlie and I were in the midst of planting Thrive Church, there was one quote from John Wooden, who is the most, he's the winningest coach in U.S. college basketball history. He coached UCLA, uh, won 10 different national championships over his time, his tenure as, as, as coach of UCLA. And he wrote a book with a quote in it that has always stuck with me. And when we first planted Thrive Church, I kept this quote with me quite closely. And it goes like this. It says this. This is John Wooden saying. He says, the team that makes the most mistakes will probably win. That, might, that may sound a bit odd, but there's a great deal of truth in it. The doer makes mistakes. The individual who is mistake-free is also probably sitting around doing nothing, and that's a very big mistake. See, and, and to, to test this notion, I decided I was going to look up the players in the National Basketball Association, the NBA, any NBA fans here in this place? Some of you guys like basketball? Is that I decided to look up the players in the NBA who've missed the most shots. Times when they really went for it and they totally missed. You know, when they tried and they failed. When they went for that big shot and it banked off the rim or completely missed the net. And see, these are the players who've missed the most shots in the history of the NBA. You might call them, from that one isolated perspective, the biggest failures in NBA history. Because they've, no one has missed more shots than they have. And no one has made more mistakes than they have, you could argue. But I want you to look at this list of, the, of, of some of the people, some, some of the players who've missed the most shots in NBA history. This is the, the 13th on the list all time of most missed shots in NBA history is LeBron James, who's missed 11,110 field goals in his career. That means that 11,110 times in his career, not counting the season that just started, he, he went up for a shot and he missed the shot 11,000 times. 11,000 times. And yet he is known as one of, and some people argue, the greatest player in NBA history. He's a multiple NBA champion. He's a multiple MVP winner. He's a scoring champion. He's a future Hall of Famer. And yet he is one of the biggest failures in NBA history. Right? Next, look, next one. Seventh on the list is a guy called Dirk Nowitzki. Dirk Nowitzki, he's missed 12,324 shots, but he's also an NBA champion. He's a former league MVP, and he's the greatest European player to ever play the game of basketball. On the, uh, sixth on the list of most shots missed in NBA history is Michael Jordan. 12,345 field goals missed. He yet is a six-time NBA champion. He's a multiple MVP winner. He's a multiple scoring champion and known, and in my opinion, the greatest, he's the greatest basketball player of all time. Another one here is the fifth. You got some Michael Jordan fans in this place, I guess, here. And see, fifth on the list, fifth on the list of most missed shots in NBA history, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. He is the leading scorer in NBA history, but he's fifth all-time in shots missed, 12,470. What, the next one is second on the list is a guy called John Havlicek. He's a multiple NBA world champion. He's a Hall of, Hall of Famer. He's missed over 13,000 shots. Finally, do you know who is the one who's missed more shots than anyone else in NBA history? The biggest failure of NBA history? His name is Kobe Bryant. His name is Cobra, and he's missed 14,481 field goals, and yet he's also a five-time NBA world champion and one of the greatest players to ever play the game. In other words, in other words, the ones who missed the most shots in NBA history were also the ones who accomplished more in NBA history than anyone else. And when you look at that list, you, you, what you see... 
What you see is a Hall of Fame list. It's because more than anyone else, they were not afraid to try and fail. When people talk about these guys, they don't talk about all the shots they miss. They talk about the championships they won. They talk about how great a player they are. In the very same way, I'm here to tell you today is that don't think that you can get it all perfect in one try. It's not going to happen. But if you will keep on trying and not give up, you're going to find that the road to greatness is not simply through success. The road to greatness is also by mistake. Amen. Amen. You know, and I thought maybe this is just a, an, an NBA thing. Well, in hockey, it's the same thing. You know the player who's missed the most shots in hockey? His name is Alexander Ovechkin who just won a Stanley Cup. In baseball, they say the best hitters have a 0.35 average. In other words, they will try 10 times to hit a ball and they'll miss six or seven times. That's the best of the best. And, and one of my favorite verses that reminds me of all of this is Proverbs 24, 16. Could you read with me a loud voice? Proverbs 24, 16 says it with me. Just read this with you right now. It says, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. You know, if you have your Bibles in front of you, why don't you underline the word seven? Seven. See, it says the godly may trip seven times. You know, seven in the Bible is the number that symbolizes completion. And so when Proverbs 24, 16 says the godly may trip seven times, it can refer to the number of times you fall, but it it can also refer to the degree of your fall is that maybe you had an awful fall. Maybe you had a complete failure in your marriage, in your business, in your career, in a relationship, and you just felt like it completely fell apart. The Bible says the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. Amen. It's because when you have Jesus Christ in your life, when you hang on to him, you find an ability to get up again. And it's not because you are strong, but it's because Jesus Christ is with you and you can do all things through Christ who strengthens him. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. Number three. Number three, if you want to overcome the fear of failure, one more thing I'm going to suggest that you do. Remember that your performance does not define your worth. Your performance and your worth are not the same thing. You know, I remember I was applying for law school in my second year in university, and, and I told my friend, you know, who said, uh, uh, like, I told my friend, oh, this is my plan. I'm, I'm planning on applying to, to law school and stuff. And, and when he heard that I was doing, he said, you know, I'm really surprised that you're even telling me. I'm surprised that you're even telling me that you're applying for law school. I was like, why is that? He's like, well, what if you don't get in? You know? And I was like, thanks, man. <laughs> No, that, that's, that's really encouraging. No, but he's like, yeah, and, and he's like, yeah, like, what, what if you don't get in? Because if, if it was me, I wouldn't tell anybody. Because like, if I don't get in, that's embarrassing. And, and I never really kind of thought about it that way. And because and, the way I thought it was like, you know, if, if the door didn't open, that's okay. We just, we just try again next year. And, and maybe it's because I, I got that point in my relationship with God where, you know, I was like, you know what? My worth and my performance are not the same thing. And, and, and you know, Romans 5, 8 says it this way. It says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, the Bible says that when our performance could not match God's worth, when our performance failed to meet God's standards, God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for our sins, to pay for all of our mistakes, to pay for all of our failures, to show that his love for us is not based on our performance. It's based on who he is. The Bible says God is love. And because God is love, he sent his son, Jesus, who stretched out his arms on the cross for us. Not only did he die and be buried, but he also rose again from the grave to show that neither death nor sin have any hold over him him so that anyone who places their trust in Jesus, they have a way to 
conquer sin and death as well. It is through someone whose name is Jesus. Oh, come on, give God a big hand here in this place right now. And you know, I'm so glad that though I fail all the time, God never fails. His love never fails. It's just like that song that we're singing earlier. You know, you stay the same through the ages. Your love never changes. There may be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. And when the oceans rage, I don't have to be afraid. Because I know that you love me. Your love never fails. Amen? God's love doesn't fail. And so... Here's a question for you. If God doesn't define you by your failures, then why should you? If God does not define you by your failures, then why should you? See, I I have a feeling that maybe some of you here in this place, the reason why you stay a little bit distant from God is that maybe there's still a part of you that thinks that my worth is dependent on my performance. And because I'm not happy with my performance, I'm not happy with my worth, and I don't think God can get near to me. And you ought know, to recognize this, is that in God's eyes, you are not defined by your failures, you're defined by his love. And you can come to God just as you are, because he loves you. Maybe you're here, and, and the reason why you hesitate to get baptized is because you fear failure. You think, oh, what if I get baptized? What if I get in the water? And I say, I believe in Jesus, I want to follow him, and then the next day I fail, or, or the next year I fail. You know what? It's okay. Because you getting baptized is not saying, look at my performance. It's saying, look at Jesus and what he's done for me. And it's not about, oh, I'm never going to fail again. It's saying that even when I fail, I know who my Savior is. His name is Jesus, and I need him in my life. Come on, give God a big hand here in this place right now. Amen. One last thing we're going to close today is if you want to overcome the fear of failure, the last thing I want to suggest that you do, realize that a real relationship with Jesus results in a can-do attitude. Realize that a real relationship with Jesus results in a can-do attitude. I find this, is that when people have a close relationship with Jesus, when they draw near to Jesus, when they make, you know, church their priority, when they spend time with Jesus on their own, is that they tend to have, as a byproduct of that relationship with God, a can-do attitude a positive thinking kind of attitude, a kind of, kind of like I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me kind of attitude. It's because the more you draw near to Jesus, who is full of faith and not fear, the more you become like him as well. One, one, of, the, one of the verses that we're getting people in our Thrive Disciple School Level 2 class to take and to memorize right now uh, is this for Psalm 18.29. It says this. It says, With your help, I could advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. See, when you have Jesus in your life and you've got a close relationship with him, you can say to whatever challenge you're going through right now, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And, it's, and, and you're not going to fear failure as much. There'll be a courage that, that rises up from the inside of you because it's not just you trying to face it. With your help, you can advance against a troop. With my God, I can scale a wall. I want you to write this one last thing down and we're going to close today. To follow Jesus means to risk failure for God's glory. To follow Jesus means to risk failure for God's glory. You see, last week we looked at Hebrews chapter 12 and how Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame. Jesus was going to the cross and he endured it. He died on the cross just for the chance to say, would you have a relationship with me? Just for the chance of asking you out. 
he died on the cross for that. He was willing to take a risk. And see, they say that you spell faith, R-I-S-K. Is that I, I tend to be a, a, a fairly careful person myself. But nowadays, the more I've learned that God honors faith, that he honors strategic risk-taking. Now, nowadays, when we're planning for our church, one thing that we do is, one, one of the questions that we'll ask is, what is a big risk that we can take that will give God glory this coming year? Not, like, not a thoughtless risk, not a careless risk, not a cavalier risk, not an impulsive risk, but a strategic risk, a thoughtful risk, a faith-driven risk. It's because you spell faith, R-I-S-K, risk. It's because God loves it when, with wisdom in our heart, we risk for him, believing that God's going to do great things. And when you follow Jesus, it's about meaning, it means I want to risk it all for God's glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. One last illustration for you today. You know, I was once in a basketball camp, and there was a, there, like, I, I didn't really know how to play basketball. And um, there was this one player who's really good, and he kept on coming at me, because I guess you find the weakest player, and you just kind of come at me, and, 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 and keep on scoring. And my mom was watching all of this, and she's not vocal at all. She's, she, she just kind of watches. But then when, when there was a timeout, I, I went to the side, and she came up to me and goes, JB, what are you doing? Why are you letting him score that way on you all the time? I'm like, well, I, I don't want to risk fouling him. I don't, I, I don't want to, you know, risk, like, you know, getting a penalty. And she's like, oh, and so, so instead you're going to risk just him scoring on you all the time? And, and, and she's such a gentle person that was, I was kind of surprised that she would say it that way. But, you know, I learned something from that, which is this, is that unless you take any risk in life, you're not going to accomplish very much at all. You're going to keep on losing to an enemy who's just going to keep on scoring on you. And so my question for you as we end today is, what risk is God asking you to take? What risk is there that you need to take? Today, maybe it's to take TDS1 to register for it, maybe to get baptized or to actually look into it, maybe to open up your heart to Jesus, maybe something in regards to your work or your family, your relationship that you care about. Could it be that the enemy is scoring all these points on you all because you're not willing to take a risk? Don't fear failure. Don't fear failure. Fear what will happen if you don't take the risk. Amen? God calls us to be a greater version of ourselves this coming year. And a huge part of that is to say, I'm going to be courageous. I'm not going to fear failure. I'm going to move forward believing that with God, I can scale a wall. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Let's all stand up to our feet. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to invite you to respond to God in this place. And I want to ask you a question this morning, which is maybe you're here today and as we've been talking about fearing failure, you realize that that is actually a major struggle for you. Is that the reason why you don't take certain risks, the reason why you don't really reach out, the reason why you've been hesitating to do that thing that you know will be good for you to do, but you've just hesitated, is because of the fear of failure. Is that you've been afraid of what could happen, what could go wrong, and you're here today, and God's word is saying, don't fear failure. Don't fear failure. Fear what would happen if you don't take a risk instead. And if that's you and you realize that God wants you to step into a more courageous version of you that doesn't fear failure, then without looking around, don't worry about what your neighbor's doing, I just invite you to respond to God right now. And I'm going to invite you to lift up your hand as an expression of your, of your need for God. I lift, and I invite you to lift up your hand as an expression of how you're going to say, God, I want to be someone who's strategic in my risk-taking, that I want to be someone who's not paralyzed by fear of failure, but I would take good risks 
wise risks for you, knowing that with God I can do all things. If that's you, why don't you just lift your hand right now. Lift your hand to heaven. Don't worry about what your neighbor's doing, but you just lift up your hand to God. And just let you just start to talk to God right now from your, from your heart, in your own words. Start talking to God today about where you're at today. Thank God that with Him you can do all things. Thank God that with Him your worth is not dependent on your performance. Just start talking to God in this place right now. Just start talking to God in this place right now. Just start talking to God in this place right now. He loves you. He's here. He's listening. Just start talking to God in your own words from your heart right now. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. Praise your name. Praise you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Why don't you pray this prayer with me? You can say, Heavenly Father, thank you that my worth is not dependent on my performance. And so therefore, I can live my life not afraid of failure. Holy Spirit, please fill me that I would have courage to do the things you want me to do to not be afraid to fail, to take risks for your glory, for my family, for my marriage, for my future, for my ministry, for my church, for your kingdom, that fear would not bind me, that failure would not be a concern, that I would trust you completely, knowing that because Jesus Christ is here, the best is yet to come. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Would you give God a big hand, a big shout in this place together right now?